this week on Hope for the Broken. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's a problem, yes, but it's not the opposite of faith. In fact, it's completely consistent with faith. At some point or other, we place faith in Christ, but we don't have it all figured out. We have questions. We don't know how it all works. We don't know what's going to happen. And some questions may come, but you can have questions. You can even struggle with those questions and still be 100% placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we welcome guest speaker Dr. Travis Dickinson as we continue our series called Real Questions, Biblical Answers. Here's Dr. Dickinson with part two titled, What Do I Do About Doubts? So we're in a series, you're in a series called Real Questions, Biblical Answers. Uh, what I want to ask is what, what happens when there are real questions but no answers, right? Or at least answers that are on hand, answers that we're kind of aware of. Answers uh, where we're struggling with some questions and we kind of just don't know what to do with that. Well, likely I think that produces in us at least some form of doubt, some form of tension in us. We're going to struggle. And I think the reality is there's not a lot of safe places these days to struggle with doubt, uh, especially for our youth, especially for our young people, especially for our students. Uh, they've got questions. I don't know if, you've, if anybody's worked with children, you know they've got questions. And sometimes when you don't have answers to those questions, it's, it creates within us that struggle of doubt. And I'm not sure the church has done a good job at being a safe place to doubt our faith. Uh, and what this has produced is what we call the youth exodus, or sort of scholars of this uh, uh, that think about this call this the youth exodus. I don't know if this is new to you or not, but this is a very scary statistic, and it's that 60 to 80 percent of our Christian youth are leaving the church today. 60 to 80 percent of our Christian students typically get, it's happening in the college years, right? But they, they leave and walk away from the church. Now, statistics can be used and abused. We all know that. Uh, it's, it's worth just saying that many students will come back to the faith, but many don't. Many never darken the door of a church again, right? And I'm really interested in the, the is, it's why, why are so many, 60 to 80%, and, and the reason for the range is there's just different studies. Uh, some have it in the 60s. There's a very sort of reputable Barna study that puts it right in the 60s, but it's growing, by the way. It's gone up about four or five percentage points in the last maybe 10 years, right? There's a SBC study that puts it at 88%. 88% of our kids are walking away at least for a time from the church. Now, why is that? Now, I don't want to 
simplify it. I think it's a, probably a fairly complicated sociological fact that so many Christian kids are walking away from the church and, and many are walking away from, from the faith completely. But I gotta think that in there, a lot of it is because, and I've talked to a lot of students, and I've talked to a lot of people who would identify themselves today as atheists that grew up in the church, the so-called exvangelical, and they say, well, I had doubts. I had questions, and nobody would help. Nobody would walk with me through that. In fact, I had a friend recently tell me that if I, if I had been in their life then, they'd probably still be a Christian today. They just had doubts, they had questions, and no place to turn. They were told to knock it off. <laughs> they were told to stop being rebellious, stop having a rebellious attitude, stop doubting. And the problem, of course, is that for many of us, that's not very helpful. We, we're not choosing to doubt, we just have some questions, we just have some struggles. So we wanna talk this morning about doubt and try to provide, again, biblical answers to these very real questions. Um, but I gotta do the professor thing, I'm sorry, right? It's just in my DNA, I think. I've gotta do the professor thing and try to say what doubt is to start with so we know what we're talking about. I, I love this quote by Oz Guinness. He says, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith, unbelief is. Right, what's, what's he saying, what's the point? Well, it's that doubt and faith are not completely inconsistent. Is it a problem to have doubt? Absolutely. You will not hear me celebrating doubt at all. Right, there are a few people out there, you know, these sort of celebrity pastors or these kind of like hipster, uh, I don't know, online personalities or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about right now, but right, uh, those sorts, you know who I'm, you pro hopefully you know who I'm talking about, but uh, who celebrate doubt. Celebrate this process of deconstruction, if you're familiar with this. That's not me. I don't think doubt is the destination. I don't think doubt is what we aim for. Well, all I'm saying is that it's an important moment for us. Uh, what I will be saying is that it's an important moment, moment for us to lean in. Right, but doubt is not the opposite of faith. Uh, it's a problem, yes, but it's not the opposite of faith. In fact, it's completely consistent with faith. And let me give you a really quick illustration to show this. Right, so I, I fly on airplanes from time to time. I'm sure many of you do as well. Uh, if you stop and think about it, flying on an airplane is kind of insane. <laughs> right, it's kind of insane. We, we walk onto a machine uh, made of metal, weighing in about a million pounds, by the way. I don't, hopefully nobody has like a fear of flying and I'm making it worse. But anyway, a million pounds of mostly metal. We go sit in a little seat and strap in with a little seat belt, like that's gonna do anything, uh, right? And we drive down a little road and this craft of a million pounds of metal lifts off into the atmosphere and we cruise at six miles off the planet. Right? It's insane. It probably wouldn't take much for somebody to sort of press those issues, because I, I, I get on board, but I don't really know much about flying, right? Uh, if they were to press these issues, that I would have a few doubts, a few things sort of, sort of going on in my mind, some intellectual tension. Uh, but look, if I'm going someplace tropical, Right, or actually probably now, right now it'd be like any place cool. I would take any place cool. Uh, cooler than Texas summer for sure. Uh, 
when my group number is called, guess what I'm doing? I'm getting on board. And notice I can be on board expressing my doubts about, the, about why this should even work, why this is safe, why I should be able to just cruise off the planet at six miles up while placing my faith utterly and completely in the airplane. And I think that's not a bad picture of the Christian life. Right? We, we, we get on board. At some point or other, we, we've placed faith in Christ, but we don't have it all figured out. We have questions. We don't know how it all works. We don't know what's going to happen. Right? And some questions may come, but you can have questions. You can even struggle with those questions and still be 100% placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? So what is doubt? Well, I like to think of it as just having some intellectual tensions. That's the core of doubt. We have some unanswered questions and we're struggling with it a little bit, right? It's, it's when one of our beliefs begins to seem like it might be false. And we've all been there. This probably happens weekly, if not daily, right? If you're a Cowboys fan, uh, hasn't it happened where it's like, okay, this is a team, they're gonna really, they're gonna beat this team right? As the evidence mounts, it starts to seem like that belief might be false, right? And I, I'm not trying to pick on, I guess I am trying to pick on the Cowboys. But anyway, uh, right? And as the evidence mounts. Now, at some point, we may reach unbelief. But when you're in that place of doubt, you got to see that we're still believing. Like, it doesn't make sense to talk about doubts unless we're in the context of believing. So, of course, Doubt and faith are compatible because that's what you're doing. You're doubting your faith. You have faith while you're doubting. You're on board wondering how is this even possible? How is this even right? So doubt's not the opposite of faith. What it is is an opportunity to lean in. Now, I doubted my own faith. I had a, 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 you know, I've had questions along the way, but I had a period in my life where I, really genuinely doubted my faith and it happened for me in seminary, right? Which is, you might think that's a little bit of an odd place to doubt your faith, but it's actually not as uncommon as you might think. Now, you also have to understand about my background. It's as Christian as it can be Christian for the most part. My parents were in ministry. I grew up in a sort of conference center, so everybody there was Christian. I went to a Christian school. We, of course, went to church on Sundays, right? It's a it was an embarrassingly old age, you know, somewhere in elementary school that I realized that there actually were people who didn't go to church and that weren't Christians, right? My whole world was Christian, and somehow I made it through Sunday school for my whole life, summer camps all the time, uh, youth retreats, youth group. I worked at, I did summer ministry. I went on international mission trips, and somehow I made it through all of that and, all, and, and Bible college, all of that until I'm sitting in a seminary class and for the first time it seemed like my belief might be false. It seemed like maybe Christianity was false. It was the first time I really genuinely asked that question. But here's what I did. What I did is I leaned into that. I didn't run from that. I didn't think, oh, there's something wrong with me. I need to get out of here. It was, I need to lean in. I got to figure some of this out. I have to investigate. I leaned in. And you know what happened? I, I found some answers. <laughs> so that ironically, somewhat ironically, 
It was because I doubted my faith that I came to a place of even greater faith. Why? Because I found truth. I found answers. Now, I'll let you know, I'll be the first to say that I, I don't have it all figured out. Uh, even as a seminary professor, university professor, uh, I've got, I stand here today with questions that I'm not exactly sure what to do with those questions, right? I'm still working on some things. I'll be the first to say that. But in that time, I found some answers and it produced in me a kind of confidence that produced in me a greater faith. So let me just give you, I'm gonna give you three sort of uh, uh, things that I want you to know about dealing with doubt. The first thing is to understand that questions and doubts are just normal. They're normal for us. Uh, one of my favorite passages is 1 Corinthians 13, 12, where Paul talks about seeing through a glass dimly or darkly or seeing a, 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 a reflection dimly or darkly. Like, that's our reality, is that we just don't have it all figured out. Amen? Everybody agree? Okay, good. Uh, we don't have it all figured out. We see through a glass dimly. And so, of course, we're gonna run into those times in which we struggle, and if you're someone who doubts, I want you to know that's one of my favorite things to let teenagers know uh, when I get to speak to teenagers is to say, look, if you're struggling with a few things, like how to put this together with that and you know, how these are consistent and how it works and what to say about this objection, guess what you are? Normal. And guess what you are? You're probably more courageous than others that aren't willing to look at these deep and difficult problems, that aren't willing to express uh, these things. So if you're somebody that's, that struggles with doubts, I respect you, because you my guess is you're more courageous than some of the rest of us, right? And you're also in really good company, because <laughs> some of the biggest, most important Christians throughout history have confessed and had to work through these really difficult times of doubt, people like St. Augustine, it's an amazing story to read through the way he wrestled with his faith and so on. Martin Luther, Francis Schaeffer, Mother Teresa, and Billy Graham himself, uh, all of these folks confessed to having those times in which they struggled. So if you struggle with doubt, you're in really good company, but we wanna look at scripture, right? This is church after, no, right? We're gonna look at some scripture. So if you would, open up to Luke 7, uh, and we'll look at somebody who ha had to ask a really difficult question that seemed to be struggling with what to believe about Jesus. And it's none other than John the Baptist. Now, I don't want to read in, you know, sort of read into his psychology. I don't know exactly what he's struggling with and if it's even right to say he was doubting his faith in Jesus or whatever, but he certainly had a question that seemed to be bothering him, right? Luke chapter 7, verse 18 uh, we'll pick it up here. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord asking, here's the question, are you the one? Are you the one? The one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, gotta remember who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist, his whole role is to prepare the way for the one, for the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that would come and the view was that the Messiah would come and free them from you know, any kind of uh, bondage and, and sort of put Israel on the top of the, the, the world stage and that sort of a thing. 
right? There would be this political figure that would come. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do, so they thought. <laughs> so clearly John the Baptist thought as well. He's the forerunner, right? And you remember the story, right? So John the Baptist is, is baptizing people and he's calling people to repentance and so on and Jesus shows up and immediately John sees him and says, behold the Lamb of God which is a messianic, again, that's, that's identifying him as the Messiah. Clear recognition. He then baptizes Jesus, and as Jesus is coming out of the water, right, you remember the story, the, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and everyone hears the, the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? John's response is, this is God's chosen one. The one, this is the one. Right, so early in John the Baptist's ministry, he recognizes Jesus as clearly the one, but here he's saying, are you the one? <laughs> What's going on? Well, a lot has happened between those two moments. Um, Je Jesus hasn't started an uprising. Jesus hasn't gathered the troops and sort of thrown the bondage of Rome off. In fact, John the Baptist has gotten himself arrested for criticizing Herod, rightfully, and he's sitting in a jail cell languishing. That's why he has to send disciples to ask Jesus this question. So is it a stretch to think he's got some intellectual tension going on right here, right now? And asking a question uh, of Jesus. And as you see in the passage, Jesus shoots uh, right, lasers out of his eyes and vaporizes John the Baptist for asking. No, right, of course not. All right. He just has a question. It seems to me to be a very honest question, and, and it's understandable that he would ask this question. This actually happens all throughout Scripture. This is a very common theme throughout Scripture. Like, if you don't think it's okay to ask deep and difficult questions, then don't read the book of Psalms, because that's going to correct you really, really quickly. There, it's a brutal honesty brutal struggles of why God, where are you? Why are you allowing this? You don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. I've just got three examples of this. Psalm 13 says this, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> how long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemies dominate me. That's King David, by the way. Psalm 74 says, why have you rejected us forever, God? Why, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger burn, burn against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you purchased long ago and redeemed as the tribe for your own possession. Remember Mount Zion, where you dwell, Right, the minute you have to remind or tell God to remember something, I think you're in rough shape, intellectually speaking, right? You're in mental anguish if the, the emotion that's coming out is to remind God about something. Jeremiah 12 uh, says this, you will be righteous, Lord, even if I bring a case against you. I love this. Yet I wish to contend with you. Uh-oh. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous live at ease? You, God, planted them, and they have taken root. They have grown and produced fruit. You are ever on their lips, but far from their conscience. 
Right, some of your translations will say uh, from their hearts. Questions are asked, deep and difficult questions are asked. Doubts are, I think, even expressed, notice, in the pages of Scripture. So it's normal. It's part of the deal that we're going to come along in the process, in the journey of faith, and we're going to have some questions. And as we sort of struggle with those a little bit, sometimes doubts uh, will be produced. It's just a normal part of the journey. Again, we don't want to stay there, though. right? That's not the destination. That's just an important moment to lean in. The second thing I want you to see is that the Bible supports doubters. Now, I've got to say honest doubters because I don't think it supports all doubters, of course. right? There are ways in which our doubt can kind of fester when we don't address it or whatever, and it, and it does produce a kind of rebellious attitude or a cynicism or some emotional struggles that we may, may in fact have. Uh, right? Just think of the relig- all the religious leaders <laughs> in the Gospels that question Jesus. They're not honest questions, typically. They're tr- they say, even, they're trying to trip Jesus up, or at least Scripture says that they're trying to trip Jesus up or trap him. That's not the kind of questions we're talking about. That's not the qui- kind of doubts we're talking about. I actually even think the, the one person that we typically label as the like prime doubter, I don't think is really just doubting. Of course, doubting Thomas. I don't think Thomas's issue uh, it, when you look at the passage, is that he just had some intellectual, honest questions. Uh, the honest questioner, the honest doubter, is always treated with care by Jesus. But Thomas, right, if you think about the story, he, he's not there when the rest of the disciples see the risen Christ. He's the only disciple that wasn't there. Right? And so what does he say? He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. That's not just doubt. That's not just an intellectual sort of like, ah, I don't know how to think of this, right? That's a refusal to believe. In fact, I think that's just the sin of unbelief. He's refusing to believe unless Jesus meets his demands. That is not what we're talking about here this morning. Right? That is not the sort of posture that we come to God with and make our demands of what he's got to do. That's, it's going to be something very different from that. But the Bible is very supportive of honest strugglers. Right? The attitude is very different for those that are just in the midst of an honest struggle. I love this part. If you want to flip over to Matthew 28. Right, the sort of high point of the gospel, Jesus is risen from the dead and he's about to commission his disciples, his followers, uh, in effect, to go take over the world, right? To go make, to make disciples of all nations. In verse 16, it says that 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Notice, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Right? And so Jesus shot lasers out of his eyes. No, right? Uh, again, what does he do? Presumably, Jesus commissions both the worshipers and those that doubted to go make disciples of all the nations. 
There's no distinction made. There's no, he doesn't chide them or address them, right? Some just doubt it. They didn't know how to think of this. Jesus just rose from the dead. Let's put ourselves in that situation. It's pretty natural to just to say, I don't, I don't know exactly how to think of this and struggle with the doubt a little bit. But Jesus commissions all of them, right, to go make disciples of all nations. Probably the clearest, uh, you know, sort of call to supporting the doubter, it comes in the book of Jude. If you're, if you're not familiar with the book of Jude, you should read the book of Jude. It's very short. It's one chapter, uh, and it does not hold back. What's happened in this congregation that Jude is addressing is that people have sort of snuck in, uh, and they are ungodly. Uh, it says they are turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ our only master and Lord. And it has the strongest of judgment and condemnation for those, uh, perhaps of all of Scripture. Uh, compares them to demons, compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah, says judgment is coming. Right? But at the end of the book uh, says this, be merciful to those who doubt. Be compassionate to those who doubt, right? We should as a church, you should as a church, not tolerate sin and ungodliness and changing God's word and coming against Jesus. You shouldn't tolerate it as a church, but when somebody comes in who just has some questions. Like, let's be careful to make a distinction between those that would disrupt the body of God, the body of Christ, and those that just have some intellectual questions. They just kind of don't know where it all goes, right? They're struggling through it and walk with those people. Be compassionate towards them. Be merciful to them. Uh, as they struggle through. Again, it's not a celebration of doubt, but we should be merciful and, and help, help those people. And where does that help come from? That, helps, that help comes from helping them find answers. That's the compassionate thing to do for those who are questioning. So the third thing I want you to know is that we need to lean into our doubts and, and do it for the purpose of finding truth. The purpose of finding truth. So come back to Luke chapter 7. Uh, remember John the Baptist, he's asked this really, uh, this question that he seems to be struggling with as he's languishing in jail, expecting there to be a, uh, you know, a messianic uh, uprising and so on. And he wonders, like, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Luke 7 continues, verse 21. At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many people. Jesus replied to them, he replied to John the Baptist's disciples, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Right, what does Jesus offer? He offers evidence. He offers truth. He offers the reality that he is the one. Right. Um, 
better than just saying, yep, that's me, I'm the one. He says, look what's happening, look what's going on. Look at these miracles. These things all confirm and provide evidence, provide truth, provide answers to you in that sort of question. Flip over to Mark 9, if you would. This is, a, this is another sort of famous passage in connection with the struggle of doubt. Um, it's sort of a beautiful picture in a lot of ways uh, because there's a father in Mark 9 whose, whose son is demon-possessed and is throwing himself in the fire, having these fits and throwing himself in the fire. And the, just imagine what it would be like for, for you as father or parent to try to grab your child out of the fire and that sort of thing. It's a huge struggle. And he gets the child to Jesus and says, please help, this is my summary, please help if you can. And Jesus is a little bit taken aback. It's a little bit like it seems to be that the father here doesn't have full faith in Jesus that he can, in fact, do this. He doesn't fully know who he is. And Jesus says, if you can, <laughs> right? And then says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And here it is. The father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And isn't that where we're at so often? <laughs> and probably where we're at all the time. Like, we believe, I mean, we're in church after all. <laughs> but God, help my unbelief. God, do a work in my life so that I would know you're there. God, help me to find the answers to the questions that I, in fact, have. The answers, uh, answers to the questions that are really bothering me that I just kind of don't know how to see my way clear of. I believe... Uh, but Mark 24, right, help my unbelief. So what does Jesus do? Again, he zaps him and vapor, no. right? No, he, he heals the son. He, he demonstrates, what does he do? He helps his unbelief, right? Now, is the father gonna struggle again about something? Probably, I definitely, it's not the case that I got it figured out in seminary and then I've never had a struggle ever again, right? But when you figure out some truth, when you get some answers to the struggles you have, what does it produce in you but confidence? So that you may not, it might be the case that you struggle in some other area, but when you get something figured out, the beautiful thing is you now have knowledge. And on the basis of that knowledge, on the basis of that truth, you can place faith. And I think that's what happens here with this father. We never hear from him again, right? But it seems to me that Jesus does precisely what he requests and he helps his unbelief by healing his little boy um, of this. So I don't think this father, he'll struggle again probably, but he's not gonna struggle with can Jesus, does Jesus have the power to heal? He, that's settled for him now. And I think that's where we need to be. That's what has to happen. We need to lean into our doubts. We have to lean into our questions and get some truth, get some answers, and then those areas become settled and we have confidence as a result of it. What the doubts do, they often sort of like, you know, make us aware of something that we probably just haven't thought through well enough, some things that we just have sort of assumed are true, like I did when I found myself in a seminary class, realizing that <laughs> I think I've assumed this entire thing is true without really pressing it. 
Uh, and again, that can be in little ways or in big ways, right? But the point is that we would seek after truth boldly with courage, right? Because if we believe this thing is true, if you think this Christianity is true, we shouldn't have any worry about leaning in and finding the truth. And the reality is this. If, if you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this, that the answers are out there. Uh, that's the great shame. To, like I mentioned my friend earlier that walked away that couldn't get answers to his questions. The, the, the shame of that is there are such good answers out there. Right? But, but we just haven't availed ourselves of those things. So let me give you just uh, in closing here uh, some points of application. Now some of this, Chris mentioned that I write on these issues. Some of this is a, a book that's coming out. Uh, so this, I guess, is sort of a shameless plug in church of all places, but sorry about that. But uh, uh, I have a book coming out called Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. It comes out in October. Uh, I will give you a copy of the book if you're struggling in your faith. This is not a bid to make money by any stretch, but just to make you aware, again, the answers, those things are out there. There's lots and lots and lots of resources that are out there. But let me give you some uh, points of application that I write about in this book. First of all, hang on. Like if you're somebody dealing with doubt, I just want you to hang on. Just hang on for a bit. Don't, don't jump ship only because you have some doubts, because guess what? You can have doubts and have full faith. That's okay. <laughs> so hang on. Just, just let some of that pressure out. Um, get a little emotional distance from the struggle. Just hang on for a bit. It's completely rational to do so. You can get on the airplane kind of not really knowing how it all works. That's okay. So just hang on. Don't jump ship. Right? There are probably times to jump out of an airplane. Right? I just hope I don't ever uh, have that experience. Right? But most of the time, just having some doubts is not it. That is not it. Um, secondly, be honest. Be honest with yourself. and Be honest with God. I promise you he can handle it. If you need inspiration, read the Psalms. Right? Read Job. Uh, that is a book... If, any, if, it's, if it's anything, it's an honest expression of struggle and trying to work out why this could be happening in the life of Job. So just be honest. Be honest with what you think you have good reasons to believe and what you think you don't and, and lean into those things. Now, it's not required that you get it all figured out. Uh, this is, this is I, I don't have time to really unpack this, but what I would say is aim for confidence. Don't aim for absolute certainty. Aim for confidence. Aim to make progress. Aim to take a step. Don't aim for the finish line necessarily because really that finish line doesn't ever come in this, right? We're gonna continue to see through a glass dimly. We're gonna continue to have a pale or sort of dim reflection of reality, so don't feel like you got to get it completely in every way figured out before you feel confident in your faith. Just take steps. Take it one step at a time. I also suggest you do this in community. Do this with people. When you have doubts, like I did, in a lonely room uh, in the back of a church, um, 
Doubts can make you feel really isolated. You feel like you've stumbled on something and you feel like you just gotta keep it to yourself. Don't. Just bringing some light, dragging that into the light is sometimes all it takes to sort of see, okay, maybe that wasn't as big a deal as I was feeling like it was. The enemy will lie to you. Right? So aim for confidence. Don't aim for absolute certainty. We're probably not ever going to reach absolute certainty, and that's okay. And finally, seek truth. Don't merely seek to alleviate the doubts. You with me? You see the difference? Like I can try to just stop doubting, sort of get distracted from those doubts or just never think about it again. Uh, that's never worked well for me. Uh, when I try to just sort of wait the doubt out and sort of like hope it goes away, it may go away for a little while. I might get a little distracted, but usually that doubt comes crashing in. And usually those, the doubt brings friends, right? Brings friends along and I have more doubts. Um, so don't just seek to get rid of the doubt. Seek for answers. Seek for truth. Again, seek for confidence in this. And do it pursuing God. Don't do it as a skeptic. Don't do it as a cynic. Uh, right? There's this really powerful moment in the life of Jesus' ministry where he's being challenged, challenge after challenge after challenge, uh, and Jesus answers the challenge every single time. And this challenge comes where a religious leader says, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Right, this is Matthew 22. Uh, and you might think, well, that's not that hard of a challenge, is it really? But it is if you think about the Old Testament. If the Old Testament isn't anything, it is filled with commandments. And what the trap is, is to try to isolate one to the neglect of the others. Right? What's the greatest commandment? So in a way, what Jesus is being asked is, what's the most important thing for us to do as followers of God? And Jesus seemingly, without skipping a beat, says... You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and notice this, with all of your mind, right? We don't approach this as a skeptic. We don't approach this as a cynic. We should approach this as a lover. We should approach God intellectually because we love him. We should have the courage to ask the deep and difficult questions that are gonna cause us to struggle a little bit, perhaps, because we love him, because we want to know him, because we want to pursue him with all of who we are, including our minds. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. 
If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.